All right, I'm going to continue teaching you on the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, God, to be upon the preaching, teaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I think what I'll do is I'll back up and just real quickly go over with you the the outline that we are following for those of you who are taking notes. Uh, first of all, we talked about the definition of sin. Four Hebrew words, nine Greek words in the Bible that define sin for us and those are not all the words that define sin for us uh, the definition of sin we talked about the origin of sin the origin of sin in the universe by an angel the origin of sin into the earth by a man we talked about the nature of sin we talked about the universality of sin the exceeding sinfulness of sin and now we will begin teaching the consequences of sin all right. It is important for us to, to have doctrine. Uh, sometimes it's not as maybe as exciting emotionally to sit in a doctrinal teaching or whatever. We love to hear the preaching. We love to, and I love to preach the Word of God. And um, I know you enjoy hearing the preaching of the Word of the Lord, but we need doctrine. It is very important for us to have doctrine. If we don't have doctrine, which is right teaching, we won't have right behavior. So it's very important for us that we have doctrine or teaching. So that's why we're taking the time and teaching you what is called theology, but really, ultimately, theology is doctrine. Okay? So we're teaching the doctrine of sin, and we are at the point of the consequences of sin. Now, when you talk about Lucifer, the consequence of Lucifer's sin was, number one, he lost his position in heaven. Now, when he sinned against the Lord, a third of the angels also sinned uh, with him against the Lord. But anyway, Lucifer, first of all, the consequence for Lucifer was he lost his position. He was the anointed cherub in heaven. And then when he was cast out of heaven, he became the dragon upon the earth. So he lost his position. And uh, then from there in the future, he will, as a consequence of his sin, be cast into the lake of fire where he will be forever and ever, eternally. And then we see, okay, and that's Revelation 20, lake of fire. Man, the consequence of sin for man was physical death came. The wage of sin is death, so physical death came upon man. And then, obviously, spiritual death if a person is not born again, uh, the results of sin will be the lake of fire. And that is in eternity. Okay? Creation also suffered consequences, the consequence of sin. We know that the curse came upon creation. That's why a uh, beautiful rose has thorns on it, so on and so forth. We see all kinds of things happening like major storms, earthquakes, tornadoes, various calamities that come upon our planet is a result of the curse uh, that fell upon the earth as a result of sin. So creation is suffering until the curse will be lifted 
in the millennial kingdom. Angels, the consequences upon angels, we're talking about fallen angels, are the same as Lucifer. They lost their position in heaven and then in the future, the eternal lake of fire. Now, holy angels, the consequences upon holy angels is that they became aware of something they did not know about. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the holy angels, the Bible tells us that they watch us in redemption. They observe, it's like a stage, okay, that's being played out before the holy angels of the redemption of God and the grace of God, how God saves mankind. So the holy angels, the consequence of sin for them is that they get to observe redemption being played out uh, for humanity. Also, the Bible says they are ministering spirits sent to those that are the heirs of salvation. So not only do they get to watch redemption take place, but they are also participating in ministering to those who are the heirs of salvation. Now, as far as the observation of redemption being played out, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you can read it there. And then 1 Peter 1.12 tells us they desire to look into redemption. Okay? And then Hebrews 1.14 tells us they are ministering spirits. Okay? So, as a result of sin coming into the world, they have the ability to minister to the saints of God, but also observe redemption. This is something that they did not know God in. They did not know God as a God of grace and mercy. So when sin came into the world, they began to see God act and operate in the realm of grace and mercy. So that was something totally new to the holy angels. And then the effect of sin upon God. Can you imagine that? That there was effect of sin upon God. What was that effect? Well, there are two great works of God in the Bible. One was the work of creation. The Bible says after God got through creating the heavens and the earth, the Bible says he rested from all that he had made. So that's the first great work, the, great, the work of creation. He rested from that. But after the fall of man, when man fell into sin, God stopped resting and started working again. And that is the work of redemption. So that Jesus, when he came into the world, he says, the Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And what he was saying was, now there's a second great work that's taken place uh, because of the fall, and that is the work of God in redeeming mankind. So God's two great works, one of creation and one of redemption. The next on the outline is the imputation of sin. Imputation of sin. The word imputation simply means to add. It's like adding to an account. So how did we become sinful? How did uh, sin enter into the human race? How was it added to us? How was it imputed to us? Well, we know it happened as a result of the fall of Adam in the garden. Now, we need to understand this because there's different views about that. And I'll talk about four different views. That's not all the views. But how was sin imputed or how did we uh, experience sin in our life? Well, it came by Adam, the fall of Adam. Now, there's four different views. Number one, the first view is that Genesis chapter 3, 
where man fell in the garden into sin is only a Hebrew uh, imagination that it really did not happen. Okay? That's one view. That it was just a legend. That Adam really did not sin against God, so on and so forth. But we know that that view is wrong. Okay? That Adam existed and sin came into the world as a result of Adam's fall. So the first one is wrong. A Hebrew legend. The next one was given by a British monk, and his name is spelled P-A-L-A-G-E-A-S, Pelagius, okay? He taught that Adam's sin only affected Adam, that it did not affect us, okay? That basically when Adam sinned, Adam became an example, you know, of avoiding wrong. That all Adam is for us is just an example of what not to do. That his sin did not affect us directly. It only affected himself. That is also incorrect. Okay? You with me? Within that thought of this British monk Pelagius, we need to understand what is behind the thought. And that is that when man is made, okay, when a child is born, God creates a soul that is sinless. So that's in the thought of Pelagius. That every time somebody's born, that the body comes from the mom and the dad, but the soul comes from God, and God creates a brand new soul that's sinless. That's in his thinking. So he says, therefore, the sin of Adam does not affect us. Okay? That is incorrect as well. What we need to understand is this, is that whenever God originally created Adam, he created an original soul, okay? The body out of the ground, breathed his nostrils a breath of life, he became a living soul. So God created that one living soul, but after Adam fell, the body and the soul, okay? We received the body and the soul from our parents. That means that your soul, when you when your body was made in the womb, your soul was not a brand new creation that was sinless. Alright, you understand that? That when you were created or when you were born, your body and your soul, not only your body, but your soul as well came from your mom and your dad. Therefore, you received the sin nature. Because the sin nature is in the soul. Now, if God made a brand new soul every time, a sinless soul every time, that means you would not have a sin nature. But because God doesn't do it that way, he made one original soul, and then after that, the body and the soul come from, amen, your mother and your father. Of course, God is working there. But I'm trying to tell you where it comes from. And in that soul that you receive from your mother and your father is the sin nature. Does that make sense to you? That's why whenever a child is born, that child may not even be around the parent. But if you look at them long enough, you'll begin to see certain tendencies and certain attributes of that child, not just physically in their features, but in their ways, their attitudes, what they do you will see those tendencies or those character traits in the child 
of the parent. That means they look just like the parent. They act just like the parent. And the reason is, is because the soul of that of those parents was given to that child. Does that make sense? So it's not a brand new soul uh, without a sin nature that's given to the child, a uh, new creation of God. It's passed on to the child from the parent as well as the body. So the soul has the sin nature within it. It's passed on from the parent down to the child, so on and so forth. Now, Pelagius, this British monk, would teach that uh, God would create a brand new soul every time a child is born. Therefore, uh, the effect of Adam's sin would not pass upon the human race. That is a false doctrine. Okay? So, how many were under the impression that you got your body from your father and your mother? Yeah, right. You, know, you got genetics, you got fa body, but you also got the soul. Their soul. And in the sin and the sin natures in the soul, so that's how it was passed on to you. Okay, praise the Lord. So Pelagius, who says uh, that it affected only Adam himself, and that Adam is only a bad example, that is a false doctrine. The third one is Armenian. Armenian uh, taught that when Adam sinned, it weakened the will to live righteously. That's all it did. It just affected the will of you and I. Uh, and that will is to live righteous before the Lord. That's basically all uh, the effect was. That it weakened the will. Amen. But it did not prevent me from living a righteous life. That's the Armenian view. Okay. It weakened my will. You know, it sort of hinders me from living the righteous life. But it doesn't prevent me from living the righteous life. Okay, that's wrong as well. That Armenian view is wrong. The fourth view is, is what is known as Augustinian. Now, Augustinian, that's the, the teacher or the theologian that taught this. So it's called Augustinian. But really, it's more biblical. And what that is, is that Adam, okay, Adam represented all humanity naturally. He was our natural representative. And he is the natural head over the whole human race, which is sometimes called federalism, which means he's the federal head. All right, you with me? So he's, there's the first Adam, Adam, who fell into sin. There's the last Adam, not the second Adam, the last Adam is Jesus Christ. So you have two Adams. Revelation chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, teaches these two Adam principles. 1 Corinthians also teaches that. The first Adam represents humanity. The last Adam represents a redeemed humanity. So you have two heads, two representatives, okay? Two bodies of people. Those are in the old Adam, amen, that are in sin. And those that are in the new Adam, redeemed by the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Two federal heads, two representatives, okay? You understand that. And this teaching then that Augustine believed in was that the sin of Adam was passed on to his seed, okay? And his teaching was that corruption begets corruption. So because Adam was corrupt and fallen, 
And of course, when Adam sinned against the Lord, he received that fallen nature, that sin nature, correct? So that sin nature that was in Adam, because all mankind, and I say mankind, that includes women, were in Adam's loins. Okay? So that when Adam, if you look at the word of the Lord, the Bible says when he gave, um, he sired a child, the Bible says they were in the likeness of Adam. Okay? You with me so far? In the likeness of Adam. So that means that his corrupt sin nature was passed on to his seed from that, that point on. So Augustine's view was then corruption begets corruption. And because Adam was fallen, then those that were in his loins, in his body, so to speak, his seed, everybody thereafter had that same nature inside of them. And that is the correct biblical teaching. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 5, and I'll give it to you from there. Romans chapter 5. So what we need to understand is we are not only guilty for our own individual sin or our own individual actions, but we're also responsible for the sins of Adam, which means the sin nature that's in us, that was passed to us by our head, our representative, naturally, okay? Okay, Romans chapter 5, turn there real quick. So what is called or what is known as the Augustinian view is the, the correct view biblically. Okay, 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. That's the, there's that imputation sin. That's how it was added to our account. Okay? By one man, sin entered into the world, and then the results of sin is what? Death is the result of sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see that? If you do, say praise the Lord. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as by one offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So in Romans chapter 5, then Paul is presenting these two heads, two federal heads, Adam and Jesus. Okay? What was lost in Adam and what was regained in Jesus. Now what is amazing, if you go through Romans chapter 5, you'll see it, what was lost in Adam, and then it says much more, much more. So we don't just get back what Adam lost, we get back much more than Adam lost in Jesus Christ. But the whole point being is that Romans chapter 5 is teaching these two representatives of these two heads, the first Adam and the last Adam, representing, representing a group of people on the earth. And it teaches us that sin entered into the world by that one man. And it passed upon all men. Does that make sense to you? If it does, say praise the Lord. Now somebody might say, well, that's not fair. Uh, that God would allow sin to continue in the human race. It's not fair 
that we are become we become responsible for what Adam did. Well, you were in Adam, whether you like it or not, naturally speaking. And amen, because he he was physically on this earth, a human being, and produced children, then, you know, at least you get to be here, naturally speaking. But you did inherit, so to speak, the sin nature that was in Adam, that corrupt nature. Now somebody said, well, it's not fair that I inherited that nature. Okay. Well, God in His infinite wisdom knows that if you had been there instead of Adam, you'd have done the same thing. You would have done exactly the same thing. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so, <laughs> praise the Lord. So that corrupt nature that was in him was passed on you. Amen. You received it, so to speak, by inheritance. But you would have done the very same thing that Adam would have done. So when we talk about imputation of sin, how did we uh, get sin? How was it added to us? It was through Adam, our representative head or our natural head. And when he sinned, you received a na uh, sin nature. And everybody that's born from his loins has that same sin nature. Okay? Now go over to the book of Genesis, chapter 5. You'll remember that when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says he created them in his image. Correct? Okay, well, after the fall, look at Genesis chapter 5. <coughs> What does it say? It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his what? Own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So originally when God made Adam, he made him in his image. Adam and Eve was created in the image of God. And the Bible says their name was Adam. It wasn't Adam and Eve. Both of their name was Adam. I just read it to you, right? Okay. He called their name Adam. It was Mr. and Mrs. Adam in the beginning. But after the fall, the Bible tells us that man is no longer in the image of God. The Bible says, notice... Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. You see that. So now after the fall, when men are born, they're in the likeness of Adam and they're created in his image. Now we're still in the image of God in a way, but it is a marred image. Wow. Who's the expressed image of God? The book of Hebrews says Jesus is the expressed image of God. So you're really not in the image of God until you get the image of God in you. When you get Jesus Christ in you, who is the expressed image of God, then you're truly in the image of God. But until then, as far as being in the image of God, it's marred. Because the Bible's telling us that after the fall, that Adam... When he gave or he sired children, they were in his likeness and whose image? His image. Okay. 
So then it was passed down through his seed, through generation, through birth, naturally speaking, and so on and so forth. Okay, say praise the Lord. That is the correct uh, biblical viewpoint. Okay, so that the unity of the human race is in Adam. His sin was imputed to his posterity. Corrupt nature begets corrupt nature. Romans 5.12 and 18. Uh, and this will be known as the natural or the federal head. Okay, y'all with me? Say praise the Lord. All right, kinds of sin. Different kinds of sin. Am I moving too fast? Okay. There's different kinds of sin. Sin is sin, but there's different degrees of sin. Now go to James chapter 2, verse 10. Different kinds of sin. Are there some sins that are worse than other sins? Right, James chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 10. Okay, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Okay, so the Bible's telling us if, if you sin, if you violate the law of God, you break that chain of the law. Okay, you understand that? You keep the whole law, and yet you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. You broke the chain. But the point, the question is, are there different kinds of sin? Are there some sins that are worse than other sins? And the answer is absolutely uh, yes, that there are. Let's go over to the gospel according to uh, Luke, Luke 12. <coughs> Luke chapter 12 and verse 47 there are different kinds of sin now while you're turning there I'll make one reference uh, first of all there are sins of ignorance the first thing we'll talk about sins of ignorance while you're turning to Luke chapter 12 remember in the gospel Luke the 23rd chapter when Jesus hung on the cross he says what father forgive them for they know not what they do. That was a sin of ignorance. Jesus said, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, does that mean that they didn't, you know, that they did not know that they were crucifying Jesus on the cross? No. They, it, they, didn't, just gra they didn't grasp who it was that was on the cross. They didn't grasp that Jesus, the one hanging on the cross, was the one who created the ground they were standing on. They just didn't have that understanding, okay? Praise the Lord. So there was, in their case, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a sin of ignorance. So there's some things that we do, a kind of sin that can be committed that is a, is a sin of ignorance. You don't know what you're doing. All right? So praise the Lord. Now, there's different uh, degrees of sin as far as some being worse than others in Luke 12, 47. Let's look at this verse. 
And that servant which knew his Lord's will, say knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Okay? So Jesus is teaching here in this verse, we'll read the next one in a moment, that a person who knew the will of the Lord but did not prepare himself will be beaten with many stripes. Okay? The passage, Jesus is talking about the servant who knew the will of God but didn't prepare himself. And ultimately, in an ultimate sense, the servant in the passage is Israel. Okay? So he's telling Israel, you knew the will of the Father, but you didn't prepare yourself. You knew the word of God, but you didn't prepare yourself. And as a result of that, you will be beat with many stripes. Okay? Now, so there's a category here of people who knew the will of God, but did not prepare themselves. The results being, that's a, you know, a great sin. So many stripes will come upon them. Next verse says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For whom, unto whom soever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Okay? So we see there are some people who did not know. Correct? The Bible says, But he that knew it not and did, and did commit things worthy of stripes, he's going to be beaten with stripes, but it's going to be few stripes. So there are greater sins. The greater sin is to know the will of God and not do it. Greater punishment upon that. The other one is to not know the will of God and to do things worthy of stripes and still experience the judgment, but it'll be fewer stripes because you didn't know the will of God. Okay? Is that clear? Now, in uh, the first example, the sins of ignorance, Jesus is talking about that in verse 48. The next one would be called sins of infirmity. David said this. David said, cleanse me from secret faults. Cleanse me from secret faults. And then Psalm 103, he says, go over to Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, he makes reference to our infirmity, our weakness, that we are but dust. Okay, Psalm 103. Verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our what? Sins? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us like as a father pitieth his children so the Lord pitieth them that fear him okay so he knows that we are but dust right verse 14 for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are what dust now 
sins of ignorance, and then there are sins that are committed by our infirmity or by our weaknesses. They're not the same. Okay, for example, uh, what am I talking about here? Well, if I don't take care of my body, you don't take care of your body, that is a sin. Right? If we overeat, if we're gluttons and we overeat, that is a sin. Clear in the Bible that that is a sin. Well, that that's not equal to going out and murdering somebody. Correct? We may not take care of our bodies the way we should take care of our bodies. Maybe we would commit the sin of gluttony or whatever, but obviously it's not on the same level of going out and murdering somebody. That would be known as a sin of weakness or uh, a sin of infirmity. You with me here? Well, maybe it's worrying. Worry would be a sin of weakness, a sin of infirmity, but it is a sin. It is a sin for you and I to worry. Don't you know that or not? It is a sin. Okay. We sit around, worry all day long about everything, you know. Uh, that's a sin, but that's a sin of what? Infirmity. It's a sin that comes out of our weakness. Not the same as a sin like murder, so on and so forth, okay? So God knows that we're but dust. He knows our frame. He knows that we are weak. And there are certain things that we do in life that, uh, like David said, cleanse me from secret faults. We might not even realize that they're sinful in and of themselves, but they are. They come out of our weakness, our flesh. Okay? And the things that we do, um, maybe our, our flesh is just all out of whack. If you know what that means, all out of whack. We're just all messed up in our bodies. We're all messed up in our flesh. That's a sin. Did you know that? And we have a tendency, right, to, to give ourselves the okay to commit those sins like worrying and to commit those sins like overeating gluttony and not taking care of our bodies and so on and so forth. We want to give ourselves a license to do that because, well, at least it's not like you know, killing somebody. Well, you're correct. Amen. It's, it's not, I would say it's not as bad. Right? Boy, y'all are real quiet in here. Uh, right? Amen. Okay, so there, there obviously there are sins that are worse than others. You probably wouldn't con condemn me if I went to store or whatever went to the restaurant and overate. You probably wouldn't pay attention. Maybe you will. I don't know. But if I walked up and killed somebody in cold blood, man, that's bad. Well, Brother Michael, you know, Stuart here, he's an officer, a police officer, he's not going to arrest me for going to the store and overeating today. But I promise you, if I kill somebody, he's going to put cuffs on me and haul me off. Right? Even, even our law recognizes there's different levels of offense. Okay? And I'm not, you know, I'd love to have him teach you someday the different types of you know, violations of the law. It'd be really informative. And I don't know if he'd do it or not, but it, it would. It, so even in the law that we have, the laws of our land, 
that it's recognized there's different levels or different degrees of offense. That's the way it is in God's Word. Okay? So sickness, sins of ignorance and sins of infirmity, they're secret faults. And David said, I want God to cleanse me even of those. Things where my flesh is all out of whack. Amen? Praise the Lord. When you smoke a cigarette, it's not equal to committing adultery. It's not equal to murdering somebody. Right? You smoke a cigarette? Wow. That's a sin. Praise the Lord. I'm just having, I'm struggling with it. Well, God can give you the power and the victory over all these things, whether it be gluttony or worry or smoking a cigarette. But help you with me today. Still a sin. I love it when y'all get real quiet. That just tells me that I mean, something's happening. And, you know, some preachers want you to run and shout and praise God. And then, you know, when you get quiet, I know something's happening. <laughs> Okay, so sins of infirmity. And then there, is, there are sins that are they're just careless sins. Careless sins. Okay? Uh, David talked about, he made a statement here about careless sins. And one of the things he talked about, David said that he wanted to take heed that he would not sin with his tongue. You can, you can commit a careless sin with your tongue. And I, I'm, I'm guilty. Okay? I mean, I say things with my mouth, and I know, you know, maybe when I'm saying them, I'm really not even aware. It may be a secret fault that I've got, and I may not be aware. Well, that that was hurtful. That wasn't. I shouldn't have done that, you know. Um, but David wanted to be cleansed, even from, you know, take heed that he sinned not with his tongue. But sometimes we just we say they come out of our mouth, and they're careless, and. Um, they're not equal to murder, but they're still sin. Careless. Carelessness. Correct? Maybe you're going down the highway and you're driving and you look up and you're driving 60 and a 20. And you see Michael, Brother Michael, behind you. And then you start this, hello, Brother Michael. You and I are brothers. Brother Michael, look here. I'm the law today. I'm your brother, but I'm the law right now. Here's your ticket. Don't try to play that on you. Know? I will, but not you. But you know what I'm saying? You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, just, just out of, because you're careless, and you're not really paying attention to what you're doing, and all of a sudden, you look up, and you're, whew. And then you look at the officer. I didn't know I was driving that fast. You're supposed to. I'm supposed to but it was carelessness. Not the same. Sins are not the same. There's just some things we do and we get ourselves in a jam. How many of you ever got yourself in a jam? How'd you get in that jam? Just being careless. Ooh, I'll pay better. I'll pay closer attention next time. Hallelujah. I'll get there on time next time. I won't break the speed limit next time, right? Because I'm going to be more careful. Praise the Lord. So there's careless sins of carelessness. You sin with your tongue. You're not even really paying attention. All of a sudden, you do something. You go, oh, hallelujah! You ever been there? Hey, praise the Lord. You see something with your eyes. You go, whoo! 
Man, I shouldn't have seen that. And, and the Lord was telling you the whole time, get ready, you're fixing to see something, dummy. And you step there, just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh! You know what I mean? Now, God's not going to take you out, I don't think, and just, you know, just put you in hellfire for that. But you knew, you, you, you kind of had a feeling it was coming, but you just got careless. You put yourself in a bad place, in a bad situation. Come on, somebody. You know, I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching to angels this morning, at least maybe not real true good angels. Might be preaching some top fallen ones, but. But you, you, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. And oh, you just feel like this. Dirt, dirt, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to even do that. But just careless. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. And then there's horrible sins. And these sins are sins that you do not want to commit. David prayed that he would not commit presumptuous sin. Now, presumptuous sin is something you have. Okay. When you and I presume something that we have no authority to presume. Okay? Did you get that? Presumptuous sin. We're presuming something. I, I hear people sometimes, they make excuses for their sin. If they don't make excuses for their sin, they try to find an example in the Bible that's like their sin. And say, well, you know, God forgave David, so I'm going to do this because I know God will forgive me. How do you know God will forgive? Are the circumstances exactly the same for you that was for David? See, so some people presume on certain things that if God forgave David, then I'll go ahead and I'll commit this sin and God will forgive me. You are presuming on something you have no authority to, to presume on. Say, praise the Lord. Are you David? How many Davids I got out there? One. Then you really are literally David. Okay? So you're about the only one here in the church that can claim to be David. All right. Praise the Lord. But see, you have to, you've got to be real careful. And I have to be real careful about presumptuous sin. When you presume something to be so, and it's not. Let me bring it to you this way so you'll understand the concept of presumptuous sin. It's basically when you dare God. When you willfully, knowingly disobey God and you sin against God and you know what you're doing is wrong. You know it is. Okay? Then basically you're daring God. And that's a presumptuous sin. Those are horrible sins. You understand what I'm saying? Say, well, God forgave David, he'll forgive me. You're presuming on the grace of God. You're presuming that your situation is the same thing David's was. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying be careful about presumptuous sin. Dangerous, horrible sins that you dare God with. Say, praise the Lord. When David sinned against the Lord, he presumed. It was a presumptuous sin when he committed sin with Bathsheba and then had Uriah sent to the front lines. It was a sin of presumption. He knew what he was doing. Somebody up here today? 
He knew what he was doing. There was no sacrifice in the Old Testament for adultery or murder. No sacrifice. When you look at Psalm 51, God doesn't use the name of God one time. He doesn't call upon the name of Yahweh one time because Yahweh is connected with redemption or sacrifice. In Psalm 51, when, when David references God, he doesn't use Yahweh. He uses Elohim. And Elohim is the creator God, the, the God who judges, the God of power. And David said, I can't bring sacrifice to you. There was no sacrifice available to him. And he couldn't call on Yahweh because that's the redemptive name of God. And he, he, there was no sacrifice that he could bring. So when he prayed that prayer of confession to God in Psalm 51, he confessed to Elohim. He was saying, God, I know you have a right to judge me as Elohim. I, you have not provided any sacrifice for me to bring whereby I could call you Yahweh. Okay? So all he, he said, all I can do is just present my inner, you know, my inward spirit, my, my heart to you, God. Does anybody understand that? He knew it was a presumptuous, self-willed sin against God. Amen? And uh, there was no sacrifice he could bring. He knew he was worthy of judgment, but he asked God, knowing he was worthy of judgment, to be merciful to him. And God only way God could be merciful to David in that kind of sin was God looked at Calvary. Jesus, David looked all the way to Calvary. So I'm just trying to show you that even David, when he talked about sin, when he talked about secret sin, he talked about um, secret fault, faults. He talked about um, that he would take heed that he would not sin with his tongue. Okay? When he, stood, when he knew he had committed a self-willed, uh, horrible sin against God, amen? Presumptuous sin, daring God, did it anyway? He knew he was worthy, it was worthy of judgment. And he asked God to show mercy to him. And I believe David was saved, but you think about it, not too, too much longer after that, he, his son, God, took that baby's life there were horrible consequences for David's sin. Took his life, that child. And then a year, almost a year later, you know, David commit, uh, confesses his sin when the prophet Nathan comes to him. How do we know it's a year's time? Because the child was born. And then Nathan the prophet went to David, and that's when David confessed. So it's about nine months to a year after David's sin that David finally confessed that he had sinned against God. And he knew it was self-will. He knew that it was against God. It was presumptuous. You understand? So when David talks in the Psalms, he knows the difference between sins of infirmity, weakness. He knows the difference between sins of carelessness. He knows the difference between uh, and then presumptuous sin. Horrible sin against God. You understand what I'm saying to you today? What are you saying? I'm saying that we have to stay away from those things when we dare God. Okay, God, 
Lord, I'm going to sin right now, but I'm going to church tomorrow, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me when I get there. You are presumed, presuming something. You are presuming that you can sin today and go and repent tomorrow, and God will forgive you. For a self-willed, uh, presumptuous sin, okay? Willful sin against God. Don't presume. Those are horrible sins. All right? Say praise the Lord, church. Now, I'm not getting anything else in David in Psalm 51. But there's a lot about Psalm 51. There's a lot about Bathsheba and there's a lot about Uriah. Okay? That that um, I'm not going to talk about this morning. Will disqualify you from ever being David in that passage. Okay? All I'm saying to you is this. Don't presume you can re-put yourself in Psalm 51, okay? If you commit the same sins David sinned, you don't even know that you don't even know half the story. You, you you can't make yourself David, okay? So let me get away from that. Will God forgive you? Well, praise the Lord. Let's say before Christ, when you were in the world, you lived a horrible, sinful life. And Jesus, you know, died for you on the cross. You come to get water baptized in Jesus' name. The good news is what you did in the past is under the blood. God forgives you. It's under the blood. What you did before Christ. Amen. But what about sins committed after you've come into the body of Christ? Self-will, presumption, presumptuous, erring God. Oh, God will forgive me. Are you sure? I said, are you sure about that? I didn't say he wouldn't. Don't read into what I'm preaching this morning. I'm saying, are you sure that you could commit self-will, willful, repeated, unrepentant sin and be forgiven of God? I, I believe if you really repent, you hear your pastor this morning? If you and I really repent, I believe we can be forgiven if we really repent. But if you're leading a self-willed, presumptuous lifestyle of sin that's unrepentant, there is no forgiveness to you if you don't repent. You are presuming something. Horrible sin. You understand what I just said? Are you thankful for the blood of Jesus? I'm not saying once you get in the church that you're going to be sinless. The sin nature is going to be eradicated. We'll talk about it in a minute. You still have your sin nature. You are not sinless. But we better stay away from that horrible sin called presumptuous sin where we presume something that we have no authority to presume. See, that's the problem with, with the church in America. And probably not just America, but people go sin all week long, live in all kinds of adulterous, ungodly lifestyles, and they go to church on Sunday. And get their conscience sued, walk out the door, and live the same way the rest of the week. My friend, you are on your way to hell. I don't care how many times you go to church. God calls us to repent. That means to turn from and forsake that sin, that ungodliness. Amen. Say praise the Lord. So today, if, if you know that you're committing some kind of sin that's got the death penalty on it, 
adultery has the death penalty on it. Murder has the death penalty on it. Some of the other sins don't. You understand? Ignorance, sins of ignorance and um, sins of infirmity, sins of uh, carelessness, those don't have the death penalty on them. But murder does. Adultery does. You're living an habitual lifestyle like that. You need to understand, you cannot presume that if you continue to live that way, presume you're going to heaven. You don't have no authority to do that. You'll wait for that. Now, the problem with the church today, and I don't, I'm not trying to be a, you know, find all the little flaws with the church, but I'm just identifying some things. Let me tell you something. The reason why there's so much in the church because the spiritual fathers in those churches are permissive. They got people coming to church all the time. They know they're living in adultery. Okay? They know it. We'll not correct them. Permissive. Now, tonight the Lord has given me a word to preach to you and it's, you know, it's got some volume to it. Uh, and it's a perfect example of permissiveness in the pulpit. Amen? It's one thing for a, a person to, to fail and to sin against God and to go to church and say, Lord, I know I have sinned against you, God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And you generally repent before God and God forgives you for that horrible, heinous crime. And He does. But to go and stand in the church and lift your hands and be a hypocrite and have no, no plan, no desire to forsake your sin. That's the kind of sin he's talking about here. Sins of presumption. Horrible daring of God with your life. Okay? Very bad. Look at your name and say, very bad. Ooh. Yeah, and the preacher said, well, we're going to give time for grace to work here. God's got one word, repent. Yeah. And there's something you need to understand. God does not forgive you for your excuses. <laughs> he forgives you for your repented sin. Matthew 12, 31, the unpardonable sin. I'm not, I, I do not preach you self-righteously, but I would not want to be in the shoes of some. And that doesn't come out of self-righteousness. It comes out of, a, out of truth continue to live in a, a sin that has capital punishment on it, biblically speaking, and presume that God's going to put you into, your, into his heaven. Matthew 12, 31. Are y'all awake? Okay, we'll talk about the pardonable sin in just a moment. There are certain things in this, in reference, there are certain things in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that, that you could 
against sin is called abomination against as it were it's an abomination to you okay abomination to you that means it's something that's harmful to you bad to you okay but there are certain things the Bible says are an abomination to God God hates okay some sins that are committed they're an abomination to God bestiality is an abomination to God okay you understand what I'm saying okay a woman wearing that which pertains to a man and a man putting on a woman's garment it doesn't say it's an abomination to you it says it is an abomination to God was that at Deuteronomy what 22 5 it's an abomination to God God hates it in Revelation 21 beginning with verse 8 he talks about people are going to be outside of the city the heavenly city of Jerusalem amen he talks about dogs they'll be outside of the city you know what a dog is biblically a homosexual so dogs are going to be outside of that city the abominable will be outside of that city. You know what abomin abominable is? People who do things that are an abomination to God. And for you to you as a woman to dress as a man or for a man to dress as a woman is an abomination to God. It's on the same level as bestiality. But we're talking about sins different levels of sin you might think in your mind well that's not too bad what does God say because what was an abomination to God in the Old Testament hasn't changed it's still an abomination to God in the New Testament what God hated there he hadn't changed his feeling about it but we presume okay and these sins we're talking about People presume it's going to be all right. I can do this. I can. God won't be upset with me. That's the culture saying that. What does the Bible say? If it's something, if it's an abomination to God in the Old Testament, it's still an abomination to God today. Are you thankful for the truth today? You know, we're not trying as as uh, apostolic Pentecostal people. And I don't say that denominationally. We're not trying to put you under a bunch of rules and 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 try to make you go back to the, you know, the 30s and the 40s and make you look like women that lived in the 30s and 40s. That's not one preacher. That was his way of getting around holiness. But we were not going to make our women look like you know the 30s or the 40s. It has nothing to do with that time. Things we preach are in the Bible. Understand what I'm saying? God didn't change his feeling about a way the woman should woman should look like a woman, dress like a woman. Hallelujah. Man should look like a man and dress like a man. I'm, what I'm saying to you, church, is this is that, you know, that that sin, people want to bring it to a lower category. Not bestiality. Not adultery. Not homosexuality not bringing the hire of the harlot into the house of God I'm not doing that which is an abomination to God 
dressed like a man, that's an abomination to God. You dress like a woman, that's an abomination to God. Same on the same level as bringing the hire of a harlot. Same level, please be hired. What does God say? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not judging you. I'm preaching the word of God to you. Matthew twelve thirty one, the unpardonable sin. He says, Jesus, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of what? Sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Amen. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it will or shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So this is what is known as the unpardonable sin, speaking blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. What is that? What is the unpardonable sin? The sin that Jesus said will not be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so that unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. You know what it is? It's attributing the works of the Holy Ghost to Satan's power. Okay. He's speaking of that generation who saw him work miracle signs and wonders, and they were given the credit of that work of God through him, the Spirit of God through him. They were given, given that credit to the devil. He said he was doing his. They said he was doing his miracles by the work of the devil, Beelzebub. That's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, attributing the works of God to the devil. Okay, that's an unpardonable sin. So here we go. A person, you got to be real careful. You start mocking, speaking in tongues. You start mocking the operation of the Spirit of God in a church service. You are moving very close to the unpardonable sin. You say speaking in tongues is of the you are. That is what Jesus is talking about. Committing an unpardonable sin. Attributing the works of the Holy Ghost to the devil. Okay? It won't be forgiven in this world in the world to come. Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost to speak evil of the Spirit of God. To attribute the works of God to the devil. Okay. Now, so, the person is getting real close to that, that line. They're mocking, speaking in tongues. They're mocking the operation of God in His church. Okay? Move. You want to stay away from that as far as you can possibly be. I don't care who you are. Okay? But there's some people who do it out of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. Amen? Okay, so if they do it out of ignorance, don't want to do it, it's bad. But if they do it out of ignorance, is that unpardonable? I think probably some of you, before you got in, in Pentecost, you received, received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, probably some of you would be guilty of attributing the works of God to the enemy. 
thank God it wasn't unpardonable for you, you wouldn't be in the church today. You want to stay away from that sin, okay, even if it's in ignorance. But I will tell you this. Jesus is talking to a generation of people who had witness after witness. John the Baptist, okay, the witness of the Father through Jesus, that, the, that what he was doing was the work of God, not Satan. Okay, so they were they were moving very close across in that line. Now, what, what are you saying? I'm saying I don't believe anybody in this church this morning has committed that sin. The unpardonable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. I believe that you would have to know doctrinally. You would have to know doctrinally the truth of the Holy Ghost, how it's manifested. Okay? And then reject it as being God. I don't think you can you can commit this sin ignorantly. You can get close to it. You follow what I'm saying? But I don't think you can commit it ignorantly. If you commit this kind of sin that's unpardonable, you knew what you were doing when you did it. You walked out of that church, said, speaking in tongues is of the devil, I don't believe the Holy Ghost. I don't believe in the Holy Ghost. I don't believe you can get the Holy Ghost. And you knew different. You knew better. And then you commit the unpardonable sin. And if you do that, you will have no desire to ever step back into the house of God ever again. You will never want to be on a church pew ever again. Because it will something will die in you. Alright? And I tell you that because I knew a woman when I was working uh, Smith International Circle. This is years ago. Sit there. She was a secretary. Sit there and cried her eyes out to me. She knew I was a Christian. And we talked about God at the end of the day. She cried her eyes out to me. Said, I believe I've committed the unpardonable sin. I said, You haven't committed the sin. You wouldn't be crying right now. You haven't committed the sin if you have that kind of sorrow, if you have that kind of fear. So you haven't committed the sin. She said, yeah, yeah. Because if you sin your day of grace away like this, you have no desire for God. There's no tears pulling down your face because you've sinned against the Lord and said things against His Spirit. Some of you out there will wonder if I've committed the unpardonable sin. You wouldn't be here today right now if you had. Thank God for that. But if, listen to me, but if you have come into this church and you have heard the word of the living God preached to you, okay, service upon service, word upon word, you walk out of this church and say there was nothing to it, you are in big trouble. may have committed unpardonable sin. And if you have fear, if you have reverence this morning, you need to have fear and reverence this morning. 
1 John 5, there's another sin. It's called the sin and the death. Only a believer can commit this sin. Church, how many of y'all believe we should walk very carefully with God? We should walk with, walk with a fear, not just an action that we commit, but attitudes and spirits and thoughts. Okay, First John five sixteen. The Lord had me spend some time in this section, in this area. Okay. First John five sixteen through seventeen. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Okay? All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not in the death. But he's talking about here that there is a sin in the death, a person, a believer. Now, this can only be committed by a believer. John's writing to believers here. There is a sin unto death. Okay, so John is saying you can pray for people yeah, they fall into sin, pray for them that they be restored, recovered, okay, out of that sin. But he said there is a sin that is unto death. He said, I'm asking you, he said, I don't ask you to pray for that one. What John is talking about, he says that a person can just ooh, there is a sin, a lifestyle of sin where God says it's enough. Okay? And he takes that person from this earth. Okay? And it can only be committed by the believer. People have this idea, well, I'll just sin, live it up, and some wild oats, and I'll make it back to the house of God whenever I want to. You can't come to God except the Spirit draw you. You can't just come back to God anytime you want to. Except the Spirit draw you. No man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw. You leave God, you leave the church, you may never make it back. You keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. God steps in and says, that's enough. I'm taking you. You're dead. Now, some people say that that, the sin and the death when God takes the person from the earth, they say, well, that's, way, that's the way of God. God's saving them before they go to hell. The Bible doesn't say they went to heaven. And I'm not taking away from the Word of God, and I'm not saying that the passage is leaving out the possibility of a believer dying and going to heaven this way. But what I'm trying to say, you don't presume that the passage is saying, well, God took him so he could take him to heaven. It says there was a sin unto death. Does that just mean physical death, or does that mean spiritual death as well? 
He said, I, I, I'm not asking that you pray for that. So it's when a believer just keeps committing sin and sin and rejects and rejects and rejects. And God says, I take your life prematurely from this earth. You would have lived a lot longer. But because of the sin that you have committed, I take you from this earth. Those, those are the different kinds of sin. There are, obviously in the word of the Lord, different degrees of sin, different degrees of punishment. Praise the Lord. These last ones we talked about, presumptuous sin and the unpardonable sin and sin unto death, those things are really serious. You don't want to get in that kind of trouble with God. You know? You have to have a fear of God in your heart, man. A reverence. I'm not saying we're going to, you know, terrified of God. I'm just saying a reverence of God. I'm going to live for Him. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I've got to cut my hand off. Or I've got to cut my arm off to get there. I'll cut my arm off, my hand to get there. Better to go through life. Halt, lame, pull your eyes out, blind. Better to go through this life that way than to up in eternal hellfire. If your hand hand offends you, pluck it. Or cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. That's not literal. It's not literal. Nobody take that literal here today. It means you have to deal with sin drastically. you got to cut it off out of your life. You can't make room for it. Metaphors for sin. The Bible likens sin to poison like a viper. It's poisonous like a viper. Stubborn like a mule. It's cruel like a bear. It's destructive like a canker worm. It's unclean like a wild dog. It's cunning like a wild fox. It's fierce like a wolf. It devours like a lion. And it's filthy like a swine. Those are metaphors that the Bible uses for sin. Now, let's get into the Christian sin. I'm almost finished. Christian sin. Let's go to 1 John, please, chapter 1. Christian sin. Okay, praise the Lord. Everybody all right? Take a deep breath. Amen. Hopefully you breathe the Spirit of God in. The Christian sin. Okay, first of all, we've got to tell you, when we got born again, water baptized in His name, you got filled with the Holy Ghost. The sin nature was not eradicated out of you. Okay? So every one of us in this church have a sin nature. It's not eradicated. It's still in that soul realm. That old Adamic nature that we inherited from Adam is still in every one of us. 
Thank God we have the new nature of the Spirit of God in us. But you still have the old sin nature. It has not been eradicated. Okay? Now, if it was eradicated, some of you woke up to great disappointment. Because you got baptized in your name, and you got filled with the Holy Ghost, and you didn't even make it a week. Let me put it this way. We didn't make it a week. We, we thought something, said something, did something. In fact, probably the day or the hour after we got baptized. My point is the sin nature was not eradicated out, out of you. you. You were extremely disappointed if you thought that that was what was going to happen to you when you failed. You go, I can't believe I did that. How, how could I do that? I just got baptized in His name. I just got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. How could I do something like that? Say something like that? Think something like that? How could I do that? Because the sin nature was still in me. Still in, it's still in me. It's where the battle was. Okay? Now, what happens is when we get born again, we fail God and we sin against the Lord. Instead of understanding the sin nature hadn't been eradicated out of us, we have to deal with that nature. We have this tendency to think, okay, I lost my salvation. I got to go to church and I get it back. How many of you have been in the altars about a hundred times saying, Lord, save me? That, well, that's not what happens to you. You don't. You don't get saved, lose salvation. Get saved, lose salvation. Get saved, lose salvation. It's not, you know, I remember what, a long time ago, uh, Jeff Arnold preaching. He said, you know, your soul's not a revolving door. Save, lost, save, lost, save, lost. That's the way he put it. But that is so true. You know, aren't you thankful? I thank God for that. Because for number one, they try to get you re-saved every day, every week. Whew. It's hard to pastor the saved righteous people. You know what I mean? Thank God I don't have to get you re-saved every time you come to church. Because then you'd have then I'd have to get me saved first. And then after I get me saved, then I'd get you saved, and then spend all night long getting everybody saved again. But that's the way so many people approach Christianity when they first get in the church. Okay, I'm saved today. Haven't committed any sin, haven't said any bad words, any thought, no bad thoughts. I'm saved right now. Oh, bad thought. I'm unsaved. Oh, and you run to the altar and try to get saved all over again. That's, that's, that's not what's going on. Okay? You were saved by being born again. You are being saved, and you will be saved in a future way. But what happens if you sin and you don't become unsaved? You don't lose your salvation if you sin. Now, if it's unrepentant, long-term unrepentant sin, you can become unsaved. But thanks be to God, if you sin against the Lord, or if I sin against the Lord, I don't become unsaved that moment. Do it, Lamb. Thank God He didn't snatch. Okay, you're not saved. Okay, so praise the Lord. And what are we dealing with? First John 1, verse 8. 
it is a fact, a biblical fact, church, that every one of us in this church, every one of us, it is a fact that we sin. It is a fact. And it's a biblical fact. It's not me. It's a biblical fact. And I didn't say we have to sin. The Bible is clear about this. First John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John is saying it is a fact, okay, that we have sin. What he's talking about is that old Adamic nature that's still in you. It wasn't eradicated. He's talking about the sin nature. And if we say we have no sin, that means that we walk around and say, I don't have the sin nature. I have, you know, Hallelujah. Once I got born again, baptized, just ain't filled with the Holy Ghost from that day all the way, all these 30-something years I've been living for the Lord, I can stand up before you and tell you I have never sinned against God. And I'm not able to sin against God and all the way to eternity. The Bible is saying here, anybody that says that, they're lying. And the truth is not in them. Everybody in here has the same nature. That's a fact. Okay? What happens when we sin against the Lord? What do we lose then? If we don't lose our salvation, what do we lose? We do lose some things. What do we lose? Is everybody all right? <laughs> okay. Let's back up to verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, and the literalist, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Amen? Right? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So verse 8 is talking about the sin nature that's in us and then the actions that it produces. Verse 9. If we confess our sin, I have a sin nature. And the actions of those sins it produces. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? But it's talking about if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us. We need to forgive. Okay. So, real quick, what do we lose if we sin against God? Do we lose our salvation? No. We lose, number one, biblically, whoo, love. We lose love. Say, praise the Lord. When I say love, it affects our love for God. Because we should be lovingly obeying the Lord. So when I sin against the Lord, I'm, I'm losing that ability to lovingly obey the Lord. That's what we were created for, to lovingly obey the Lord. If I'm disobeying Him, I'm losing my love for Him. I'm losing light. There's a loss of light. What happens when I lose this light? When it says a loss of light, 
I'm losing God's will. To lose light means you're losing, you lose your ability. Are y'all here with me? Am I getting too long here? Okay, I don't want to bore you and put you sleeping. It's too important. When you lose light, you lose your ability to know the way and the will of God for your life. You just lose it. What's God's will? I can't find God's will. I don't know what God's will is. What is it? You lost it because of sin. It's called light. Everybody all right? Let me put it to you where you can understand it maybe a little better than the way I said it. You don't know God's way or will when you're in sin. You don't know God's way or God's will when you're in sin. There's a loss of joy. Psalm 51. David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because there was sin in David's life. He lost that joy. Amen? How many of y'all have ever lost your joy? Didn't lose your salvation, did you? You lost your joy. I've lost my joy. David's praying for it to be restored. Restored to me the joy of my salvation, Psalm 51. You know what happens to the, to the believer? Lose that, that love for God. They lose that life, their ability to know the way and will of God, and they lose joy. They become miserable. Doesn't mean they're lost. They're just miserable. Why do I want to be miserable? God didn't intend us to be miserable. I don't want to be miserable. But that's what happens when we sin against God. The joy leaves. Misery comes. Elaborate more on the loss of love. We lose our love for our Savior. Careful. Listen carefully. If there's sin in my life, I lose love for my Savior. I lose love for lose love for the saints. That's what happens when you sin. You lose love for the Savior and you lose love for the saints. You you lose love for the scriptures. And you you lose love for the sinner. That's what happens. You ever, you and I ever get to a place where we don't love the Savior like we used to? We don't love the saints like we used to? We don't love the Scripture like we used to? We don't love the sinner like we used to? Because it's in our life. Get rid of the sin. Love for the Savior comes back. Love for the saints comes back. Love for the Scripture comes back. Love for the sinner comes back. That's why the revival can't hit a church can't come to a church that has sin in it because they've lost their love for everything. Savior, saint, scripture, sin. And there's a loss of fellowship. You can't sing that song. That's song. That song, Fruit Fellowship Divine. No more fellowship. The fellowship's just not there. It's broken. Hallelujah. How many of y'all ever had a disagreement with somebody in your life? Just a disagreement. Hallelujah. And it doesn't have to be your husband. I know some of y'all talking about your husband and wife right now, but it doesn't have to be that. It's just a disagreement. And if that disagreement is pretty strong, it breaks fellowship. 
until it is restored, until it's corrected, right? Amen. And that's what happens. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose fellowship with the Spirit of God. He won't walk with you if you're not in agreement with Him. He can't fellowship with us. Hallelujah. We lose our confidence. You have sin, you lose your confidence. Praise the Lord. Now, have you ever noticed when you're not, not self-righteous, but walking where you know you should be walking in the Lord? You've got confidence. Amen. You don't fear. Praise God. You don't compromise with sin or sin. Come on. You with me? There's confidence. But if there's sin in life, you lose, you lose confidence in preaching. Because, listen, there's an old saying that the Bible's going to keep you from sin or sin's going to keep you from the Bible. If there's sin in your life, you're not going to read this. If there's sin in my life, I'm not going to read this because as soon as I do, I'm going to put him in this. That's the Word of God. The Word of God will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Word of God. And if you have sin in your life, then you lose confidence in preaching. You go to the house of God and it can be one of the most powerful preachers in the church house. It could be Bishop Lemons up here preaching. And if there's sin in your life, you will lose confidence in that preaching. You hear what, this, what I'm saying as your pastor? When I don't have confidence in the preached word anymore. Because there's sin in your life. You got, if you're where you need to be in God, you go to hear the word of God, you believe it. You know, you have confidence in it. A lot of people stop going to church. Sin in their life. Lose confidence in the preached word. They lose confidence to serve the Lord. They lose confidence in teaching. They lose confidence in witnessing. They lose confidence to do anything in life. It is so far-reaching. It, it goes beyond just lacking confidence in the Word, lacking confidence in teaching, lacking confidence in witnessing, lacking confidence to serve the Lord. It goes much further than that, church, because pretty soon if you stay in that realm of sin, you will lose confidence to be able to do anything in life. That's, that's how horrible the effects of sin are. You lose complete confidence to do anything. I mean, you do good to just get out of bed and to exist. Much less go to your workplace with confidence produce. You go to your workplace, you know you're not right with God. Therefore, you have no confidence to produce even in your workplace. That's what happens when you sin against God. Say you a lot. Every area of your life is affected by it. First Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible talks about <clears throat> taking the Lord's Supper and it talks about uh, in that passage 
that there are some that sleep among you? Because they didn't discern the Lord's body, there are some that sleep among you? First Corinthians chapter 11, read it when you get a chance. The good news is that the Bible says if you judge yourself, if you judge yourself, that means you repent. God, I've sinned against you. I judge myself. Lord, the Bible says if you judge yourself, you'll not be judged. You won't be judged with the world if you judge yourself. That's why we come to the house of God and we hear the word preached. We start judging ourselves. We let the word of God judge us so that we won't be judged with the world. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about there are some that sleep. There are some that are sick. There are some that sleep among you. He's telling you that in the body of the Corinthian church, there are people that were dying because of sin. They were losing their physical health and they were losing their life, some of them. Maybe that's the sin and the death that John is talking about. Corinthians 11, loss of health, of physical life, many sleep. Okay? Now, so what do we lose? We lose light, joy, love for the Savior, Saint, Scripture, Sinner, loss of fellowship, loss of confidence, loss of health, loss of life in some cases, and the last one, loss of you may have peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross but you may not have the peace of God this morning the only way that you can have the peace of God peace of God this morning is if your sin is cleansed if your sin is cleansed then you have the peace of God you may have peace with God today but not the peace of God sin that hasn't been cleansed. Okay. Well, how do we prevent sin? We've already declared to you the fact that we all have sin nature, right? We all come short of the glory of God, every one of us, some way. Then how can I, if, if I'm not sinless, how can I sin less? I, I don't want to be like the people who say, well, everybody's got to sin a little bit. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say everybody's got to sin a little bit. That's, a, that's your philosophy. That is not true. Everybody doesn't have to sin a little bit. But it is true that we do sin. Yes, we do. But I want, I want some, some things that will give me the ability to prevent sin in my life. Because I don't want to lose those things that we just talked about. And I promise you I'm almost done. To prevent sin, the Bible says the Word of God. David said in Psalm 119, he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You stay in the Word of God, the Word is going to keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God is a remedy for sin. Okay? In John 15, Jesus said, that we are clean through the word. We're clean through the word. In John 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. 
thy word is truth. So the word of God will sanctify you. It'll set you apart from sin. We are clean through the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay? Secondarily, the ministry of the Spirit of God, the ministry of the Holy Ghost in your life. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse, I believe it's verse 6, it says, Not by power, nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. The ministry of the Holy Ghost in my life. See, if you don't have the Holy Ghost today, you're going to struggle with sin. You receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in you. Say, Holy Ghost. He'll, he'll give you the power to live holy. Okay? Thank God for the Spirit of God. Giving, giving us strength to overcome sin. And then, I'll read this one. Uh, Luke 22. I'm almost done, I promise. Luke chapter 22 and verse 32. Verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This is the ministry of the Son of God. The intercession, the intercession of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in my life. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So the Word of God, the work of the, the ministry of the Holy Ghost, and the ministry of the intercession of the Son of God in my life gives us strength to overcome sin. Amen. I prevent sin, Word of God, Spirit of God, inter intercession of the Son of God. And then we see the remedy of sin, 1 John 1, 9, confession. Amen. How many would love to this morning get back, get get back, get right with the Lord this morning? How would you like to get, get back to the Lord? Anybody here? I mean, you, you desire today. You know, you missed it. Maybe this morning. You missed it yesterday. You desire today to get back in right relationship with the Lord. I have a desire this morning to get back in a right relationship with the Lord. How do I do that? The Bible tells us. First John 1, I've already, already read it to you. First John 1. How to get back in a right relationship with the Lord. First John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? How to get back in a right relationship with the Lord. It doesn't mean we come to church and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and go back and commit it again. 
confession here, the word confession means to agree with God. This just mean to say with your mouth. It means to agree with God. Okay? Confession. Confessing sin. Confessing your guilt. Agreeing with God. Agreeing with God? Yeah. Okay. Because what happens is this. The Lord brings His Word to you and says, You're guilty. Does that ever happen to anybody here? The Word of God comes... Spirit of God takes it. Oh, you did that. That's wrong. That's sin. You're guilty. You've been caught. You've been captured. You're captured. You're caught by the Spirit of the Lord. And He brings His Word and says, Look, you did this. You, you're guilty of this. And then you what? You say, I agree. I'm guilty. I've been caught. I've been captured. I'm making my confession. I agree. You said I did wrong. I agree. I did wrong. Does that make the point? Okay. Praise the Lord. So like, like somebody, you know, Brother Michael is a police officer. He just catches them red-handed. Man. I mean, he, they got their hand in the cookie jar. He says, he captures them, you know, puts handcuffs on them, says, I saw you. You had your hand in the cookie jar, you know. You're guilty. And, and you know, the guilty person, crime, criminal, says, I agree, I, I did it. That's confession. That's what it means. You've been captured. You've been caught by the Lord, by His Spirit. And the Spirit points that sin out. And you say, that's correctly, that's sin, that's And you turn away from it. Corinthians talks about godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be repented of. It's not that you got caught doing the thing wrong. You don't say, okay, I won't do it again. I'm sorry, because I got caught. But Michael seen a lot of those people. Stuart. I won't break the law again, officer. I'm so sorry. Tears running down their face. I'm so sorry that I've sped today. And you know, Brother Michael lets them go. And ten minutes later, <laughs> there was no change in them. They were just at that moment sorry they got caught. And that's the way a lot of church people are. They just sorry they got caught. They said, I'm not going to do it again, Pastor. And they, yeah, right. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That means when you say, I'm sorry, I confess, I agree with you, God. There's a real, true, genuine sorrow. Not just because you got caught, but because you know you dishonored the Lord. So God will forgive us and He'll bring us back in the right relationship. But I want you to notice something in the verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. He doesn't want you to come and bring all your excuses. He doesn't want me to bring all my excuses. Say, Lord, this is why I did it. I don't know. Confess your guilt and confess what? Your sin. Then he'll forgive you. Beautiful, isn't it? He's writing this to the believers, by the way. How many believers I got in here? Okay. Amen. They will do wrong 
You know how hard it is sometimes to, to, for somebody to get them to admit that they've done wrong? They just admit that they just confess and agree, yeah, I did wrong. Praise the Lord, that's all we're after. It's all God's after. Say we, God. All right, it's all right, all right. You don't want to accept it. Okay, let me get the book out. Let me show you what the Bible says. Okay, now are you wrong? No. Then you're not confessing. Okay, real fast. Two reasons why God allowed sin. Two reasons why God allowed sin. First of all, let me just talk, give you a personification of sin, Hitler. Why would God allow a man like Hitler to exist? Known as the, one of the greatest sinners of all time. You ever heard? I had somebody in with us to bring this up. You know? Why did God allow Hitler to do what he did? I don't know. I say again, I don't know. Why did God allow sin into the world? I know he decreed it. I know he decreed to allow it. He didn't decree sin. He decreed to allow sin. But why did he allow sin? I don't know. Why did he allow a Hitler to do what he did? Why didn't God just, if, if God, because God knows everything, because God knows, because God knows everything. He knew what Hitler was going to do. Why didn't he? Why did he even let him be born? And if he let him be born, why did he let him live? Why didn't God kill him before he ever got to that place in his life where he became Hitler? Why did God allow that? I don't know. There's two possible reasons. Number one is that God created angels and men as free moral agents. Made you as a moral being. A moral being. You're different from a dog. A dog doesn't have morality. They're amoral. They don't have morality. They can be vicious, but they don't have morality or, or immorality. Which means they don't know that they are disobeying the known will of God. You are a moral creature. That means God made you morally. You know. You know the will of God. Okay? As a moral being. And you choose as a moral being. Choice. So as a free moral agent, he gave you the ability and I the ability and angels the ability to make a choice. He didn't want robots. So if he stepped in and he stops Adam from sinning, he takes that ability of Adam away, the ability of being a free moral agent away. Yeah, he's got a robot in his hand. If he steps in and he stops Adolf Hitler, he's got to stop everybody anybody that would try to commit murder before they did. 
But see, God, in creating man and angels as free moral agents, He gave us the ability to choose. And if He steps in and overrides that, He overrides that being a free moral agent that He created us as. Okay? That could be one reason why He didn't stop sin from entering the world or stop Hitler from being Hitler or stop you from doing what you did because he created you with the ability to make a choice so you wouldn't be just a robot. Okay. Second possibility as to why God allowed sin to come into the world is that his grace might be known. Okay. You look at Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible talks about even in eternity, ages to come, His redemptive his, uh, work, His grace will be on display through the ages to come. Ephesians 2, read it. Are you hearing almost none? See, listen, before man fell into sin, man, God was known in His power. He created the heavens and the earth. The, the angels saw His power okay, in creation. So they knew an attribute of God called omnipotence, power. They knew He was omniscient, the knowledge of God. When He created the angels, they saw His knowledge. When He created everything, they saw His knowledge. So the power of God, the knowledge of God, was known. In fact, God's holiness, an attribute called holiness, was known as well because when Lucifer sinned against God, God cast him out of heaven, manifesting that he's a holy God. See, they knew him, the angels knew him as a lion. They did not know him as a lion. And so, one reason why God allowed sin into the, to the universe, possibly, is that something would be known about God that would not have been known before. And that He's not just a God of power and knowledge, omnipresence, and He's not just a holy God, but He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. That wouldn't have been known if man had not been around at all. And love of God would be manifested in Jesus Christ upon the cross. And the angels stand back in dismay, desiring to look into this redemption that we have. And it will be on display throughout the ages. His redemptive accomplishment. Those are the only two possible reasons that I know of biblically why God allowed sin. Because he desired, he chose to allow us to have choice and because he wanted to reveal a side of himself that would not have been known if he did not allow sin. Isn't that awesome? And so you need to understand, church, as I come to a close, God didn't have a plan B. He didn't, he didn't create the heavens and the earth and create man and put him in the Garden of Eden 
and, 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 and then all of a sudden man fall and God goes, I can't believe this happened. God didn't get caught by surprise. He didn't come up with a plan B. He decreed to create the heavens and the earth. He decreed to, to uh, create man or to make man in his image. He decreed to allow man to sin. Allow man to sin. It was in him. He decreed it. He decreed that he would come in, in the form of a man and die for that sin. He decreed that they that believe on him would be saved. He decreed that those that do not believe will be judged. These were decrees in God before he ever did anything. Plan A didn't fail and he took up plan B. He knew man was going to fall. And the Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It was already in his plan at the beginning. So he reveals a side of himself that would not have been known before. That's called mercy, grace, and redemption. He's an infinitely wise God. And the last thing in closing is that there will be a time when sin, there will be a total victory over sin. Sin did not has not always existed forever. It had a beginning, and it will have an end. That's the good news. Okay, four scriptures I'll give you to write down. First Corinthians chapter 15, 2 Peter chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 12, Revelation chapter 20. The Bible is very clear. If you take time, especially to read 2 Peter chapter 3, it talks about there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. There is going to be the eradication of sin out of the universe. He's going to put, he's going to judge the sinner, those that refuse to repent and believe. He's going to put the sinner and all fallen angels into a place called hell. They won't be sinning anymore. The righteous will have glorified bodies with no sin nature. They will not sin anymore. He's going to cleanse the heavens and the earth and make a new heavens and a new earth where into righteousness. There will be a final, a total and final victory over sin. It'll never pop up its head in the universe ever again. It will be impossible for it to ever pop up. And possibly that's the third reason why he allowed sin. So it'll never pop up again. And he deals with it finally and completely first at the cross. And then by way of judgment. Never, ever happen again. Total and final victory over sin. When you get a glorified body, you're not going to have a sin nature anymore, nor am I. There's not going to be sin. The heavens themselves are going to be cleansed. The sanctuaries of God were polluted by Satan. The earth polluted by the fallen man. New heavens and a new earth. We're in will of righteousness. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you right now for your goodness, mercy, and grace. Thank you, Lord God, for giving me the strength and the ability, the anointing this morning to declare the word of God, to preach the word of God, to teach it to your people. 
ask God that you would implant that into the heart and soul, mind and spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for the truth that makes us free. Thank you, Lord, for your word that has come. That we could be begotten by the word. We could be regenerated, made new, born again of the water and the spirit. To have the power of the Holy Ghost in us to, to live victorious over sin. The word of God. Hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. The intercession. Jesus Christ that we would not fail in Jesus name we pray Amen